and we're here again, Alida Robinson and uh, Pastor Samuel Chizikedi from A Reasonable Christianity, and our topic today is doubt, Samuel. Doubt, yes. Yes, <laughs> doubt it is. <laughs> so, the question today from our uh, listener is, is it okay to doubt my faith? Mm. Very, very important, very interesting question. Um is it okay to doubt my faith? Let me start by uh, answering that question in the shortest way possible. Yes, it is. It is okay to doubt. Okay. Um, and you're probably wondering, really? Do you actually, Sammy, do you ever doubt your faith? Well, yes. Doubt, we live with it. Doubt is part of life that is part of our every endeavor and even the atheist has doubt sometimes the atheist might think what if these things were true and the doubt might scare him yeah right yeah. the doubt of the atheist might scare him mm. what if it is true that god exists so let me sort of show you that doubt is recorded throughout scripture it is recorded uh, in in the Bible without any... The, the Bible doesn't shy away from telling us stories of doubt. Uh, the first one that I want to look at is the story of John the Baptist. Now, uh, and I'll sort of go into, you know, defining doubt, but bear, bear with me because the question has been asked from a, you know, believer Christian point of view, and so I want to answer that. And let's look at the, the question of uh, John the Baptist's doubt. Uh, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 11, know some uh, biblical text, uh, Matthew 11. And John is being arrested. Remember, John is the man who um, announced to his disciples and everybody else at, the la- at large in the Gospel of John, as John reports, as the, John, the writer of the gospel, reports that uh, Jesus showed up on uh, at John's baptism when he's baptizing people, yeah. and John raised his voice, says, "Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world." So remember, this same person, John, is the person who, when he was baptizing Jesus, okay, when John was baptizing Jesus. Uh, we are told, the story goes, that um, he saw heaven open, and a dove came down, and he heard a voice saying, Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I'm giving all that background so you can see that the person who had known, when people asked him, after he'd said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God, he gave the justification, says, I did not know who he was. But the one who sent me said, the person upon whom we will see this sign is he. Yes. So John had all that. And then we get to John 11. John is being arrested. And John is in jail. And so he sent his disciples to go and ask Jesus. Mm. They've got one simple question. Let's read that text. John chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Mm. Well, he had testified that this was the Lamb of God. In other words, in Jewish parlance, here is the Messiah. Here is the promised Messiah. Yeah. Now, he's asking, are you the Messiah or do we have to wait for another one? So he, John, is having some doubt. And now, I'll go uh, to talk about what, what, what is at, 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 the, at the bottom of our doubt. What actually causes our doubt? But let, let's leave that for the moment. And this is how John, uh, Jesus responds. Jesus responds, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you heard and what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lamb walk, those who have leprosies are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed the man who is the man who does not fall away on the account of me. Mm. This is Jesus' answer. 
you can see Jesus doesn't dismiss his doubt. He provides an answer to his doubt, which I'm going to look at later on. That's the first, at least the first doubt of a very famous person we find in the Bible. And it is interesting that, uh, that John had that question because he was uh, Jesus's cousin, wasn't he? Or, or Elizabeth was yeah. Mary's cousin. Yeah. So he would have known about Jesus and would have known the story of the birth and everything else that would be a family thing. So then he's gone to this next level um, of the, the baptism and everything else, and, and he, but he still has, has doubt, even though all the way along he's sort of known that there is something particular yeah. about Jesus. John himself, his own birth was miraculous. Yes. There's no way he would not have been told by his parents how he came to be born. Yeah. His dad was mute, couldn't speak for nine months, and Elizabeth was already old, and she could not conceive. And when Elizabeth conceived, Mary visited her. Mm. And John, in the womb, shook to the voice of Mary greeting Elizabeth. Mm. And so there was an entire set of phenomena that don't happen ordinarily in the life of those two boys. Yes. And so you can see even with all that, John has come to have doubt. Yeah, interesting. And so we will talk about that. But you see, the scripture doesn't hide to us that doubt was okay. Mm. Uh, it was okay. He had doubt. He had doubt. Here's another text for doubt. Um, in, in, an ordin- uh, in a set of circumstances, we're in Mark chapter 9. And we're reading from verse 14. Uh, this tells us a story of Jesus dealing with a man who had a child who was epileptic. So let's read that. When they came to the other side, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Wherever it, it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. Uh, it, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciple to drive him out, but they could not. Mm. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus says. How long will I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, the boy, and when, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell onto the ground and rolled around, forming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And from childhood, the father answered, it has often thrown him into fire, into water to kill him. But if you can do something, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus replied, everything is possible to whom who believe. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. Mm. He's saying, I do believe, but I am doubtful. <laughs> Help me overcome my doubt. Yeah. And then Jesus then goes on to, you know, command this spirit to be cast out. Now, if you are, you know, for those who listen to us on the radio, you're not a, a Christian, you don't understand the fact of demons and spirits, don't let that turn you off. You know, I want to, I could explain you know, all that side of reality, but we're just dealing with the doubt of the person. Jesus used to do these things. And the man had come with his child expecting healing, and then the disciples couldn't do it. Now he's asking Jesus to do it. Jesus says, okay, do you believe I can do this? Well, I do, but I'm still doubtful. Yeah. And so you can see this is human. It's, it's normal that the man had doubt, and Jesus didn't rebuke him for it. Mm. And simply, Jesus went ahead and healed the boy, and that was a piece of evidence uh, for the man. Let's look at the most famous doubter in the Bible. Anybody knows what that is? Would that be uh, Thomas? Thomas, the doubter, <laughs> exactly. We're in John chapter 20. Uh, so bear with me. I, I want to sometimes you've got to sort of read scriptures and, and so we can, we can talk about this. Mm. Now, verse 24, John 20, verse 24. Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so that the other disciple told him, We have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see the nails, my marks in his hand, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Mm. A week later, his disciples were in the room again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So didn't this door? Came stood in uh, among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, "Put your finger here. Mm. See my hands. Reach out, reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting." <laughs> And believe. A bit scary that he wasn't right. present, but he heard everything Stop that was said, isn't it? <laughs> so here you have scripture telling us from John the Baptist to the regular man who brought his child to Jesus to a disciple who had walked with Jesus throughout. It's mm. seen everything that he's done, and yet he still doubted. And so that establishes. Something, the myth that I want us to, to basically knock away for good. Doubting is okay. It's okay to doubt. Many of the believers and many of people in our churches have sort of scared people away from having doubt. So what I'm saying is, if you have doubt... That's all right. That's all right. Yep. Well, we'll just uh, we'll come back to that subject after we've listened to this great song. Mama, thank you for who I am. Thank you for all the things I know. Forgive me for the words I said For the times I forgot Mama, remember all your life You showed me love, you sacrificed Think of those young and So Samuel, you've just gone through uh, a number of passages in the Bible yep. of um, people that have doubted uh, 
and uh, and you were just going to expand on that a little bit more. You said that you know doubt wasn't something that we needed to um, beat ourselves up about. It is yeah, something yeah. as part of the the humanness of who we are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. Now, um, so I can basically pull all sorts of scripture to show you that. Even after Jesus had risen from the dead and he, he shown himself to uh, his disciples many times, he actually came and and, and and still there were still some that were still doubting. So doubting is fine. So that's where we were. I want to say it's okay to doubt. Yeah. It is okay to doubt. If you are a Christian, a parent, Christian parent, or you're a pastor, in your church, and somebody start to express doubt, don't shut them down. Doubt is okay. It's okay to have doubt. The question is not whether it's okay to have doubt. The question is, what do we do without doubt? Mm. What What is the best way? Because once you have doubt, you've got to, first step, I'll give you, first step, seek to understand your doubt. Okay. What am I doubting? Yeah. Okay. First question. You seek to understand your doubt. I am doubting, yes, but what exactly am I doubting? Number two, what has caused me to doubt? Why am I doubting? What has brought me to this point of doubting? Mm. Number three, then what do I do with my doubt? If these three steps are not followed... Doubt can turn into unbelief. And I'm going to show the difference between doubt and unbelief. Yeah. And then there's weak unbelief and strong unbelief. Okay. Now, so what am I doubting? Let's say somebody who's, uh, you know, a, a believer or a non-believer. You don't believe in God. You doubt that God exists. So what you're doubting is God's existence. Well, there's no God there. Okay, that's you know the object of your doubt. Yeah, because doubt is is an an opposite to trust. You trust something, there must be an object of that trust. And if you doubt something, you need to know what exactly am I doubting. And if you can interact with what you're doubting to define it at least, then you want to know why am I doubting this. You want to know. Is the source of my doubt intellectual or is my, the source of my doubt emotional or is the source of my doubt moral? Three important sources of doubt there. Is my doubt intellectual? Is my doubt emotional or is my doubt moral? Let's go back to the story we've just read. I want to say the fact that Thomas' doubt was an intellectual doubt. Thomas' doubt was an intellectual doubt. Why? Because Thomas had never seen a dead person who died, was buried, come back to life, alive. He would have seen people that had died because Jesus raised people. Yeah, but what, what but, I'm but saying they is... they weren't actually in the ground or... or no, no, he'd, been he'd seen Lazarus being raised from the dead after yeah. four days. Yeah. He'd seen that. Yes. What I mean is he knew who got Thomas out of the tomb. That was Jesus. Got Lazarus out of the tomb. Oh, Lord yeah. Lazarus. Yeah. Lazarus. Yep. He knew who got Lazarus out of the tomb. Yep. Thomas never doubted Jesus' ability to raise the dead. Okay. He doubted because it's one thing to see. What you need to when you're reading this biblical text is to put yourself in the shoes of these people. Mm. It was one thing. They'd seen the master. He had, he had calmed the storm. They'd seen him get a coin out of a fish, the first fish that Peter went to fish got a coin out of it. Mm. They'd seen also, they could put their trust in him that he will always deliver. It's like when you go to where you've got you, this hero of yours that you think is unbeatable, is, you know, is unkillable, it can't be killed. Yeah. And, and then suddenly you watch him Die. being taken, mm. being flogged. Yeah. Every moment as this is going, you're thinking at some point it's going to go, okay, enough. Rah! Yeah. And then all his enemies, they're going to just simply collapse because he's too strong. They'd seen him walk in the temple and flog everybody in that temple. People were running away. The Jesus they'd seen was too powerful mm. to be arrested like that, to be beaten up, to be put on the cross, and then to see him literally die. So, 
Now Thomas was like, well, it was all good, all the things that he did. But then, just in front of us, they arrested him, they stuck him on a cross, he died. Yeah. Well, how do you know this? I'm not making this up. Listen to the conversation of the disciple going on the road to Emmaus. Yeah. They, they tell you, he was a great man, he did amazing miracles. But then, <laughs> the, arrest, the story just, just collapsed. Yeah. So Thomas is like, well, look, you boys might be telling me stories. Yeah, and it's interesting that he doubted his friends. I mean, all these disciples were saying, we have seen the Lord. I know. And he doubted his friends as well. The, yes. Je- Jesus the rebuked him their, for that. Yeah, yeah. Jesus rebuked him for doubting the testimony of I mean, his most trusted friends. Exactly. Yeah. But I can understand his doubt. And so, and Jesus understood his doubt because when Jesus shows up, he says to him, most people have misread that text thinking, oh, Jesus was unhappy that Thomas doubted. No, Jesus said to him that you doubted, I mean, you needed at least to have a reason to believe that these friends of yours, many of them, had a reason to lie to you. Yes. Why would they? Yes. Right? Yeah. So you didn't believe in the apostolic testimony. They told Peter, John, they told you we have seen him. Yeah. So he doubted his friends. But when Jesus comes like, okay, well, you doubt your friends, that's fine. Here is the proof. So the way to resolve an intellectual doubt is to look at the evidence. Well, he may have thought they have seen a vision, like it's a ghost, but it's not real. So I it need to could. physically touch yes. him, and yeah. and then I know he's real. But, yep. okay, you might have seen him, but I don't yeah. believe he's the real thing. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, and that would be justifiable. Yeah. Why? Because remember when Jesus came walking on the water, the disciples saw him in the night. They, what did they think they first? They thought he was ghost. a ghost. Yeah, exactly. But you don't go to, to bury somebody in a, in a cemetery and then expect that you'll see them walking around about in the street tomorrow. Yeah, physically. If you do, like, oh, no, no, first of all, you everyday common sense, physical senses tells you that cannot be. Yeah. So, and the disciples were not gullible. People were like, oh, yeah, it's him. Ah, yeah, no. All of them doubted. Mm. This is why even John and Peter ran to the tomb to go and check. Yeah. After Mary Magdalene told them that the Lord is no longer there. Right? Mm. Yeah. So, now, Thomas' doubt was intellectual. So, Thomas wanted to see the evidence. And what did Jesus do? Just Jesus said, come, okay, here is the evidence. It's me. Put your hand in here. Put your hand in here. The way to resolve with the intellectual doubt is to engage it. Yeah. Okay. Engage the intellectual doubt hmm. to see what's the evidence and what does the evidence say and where does the evidence lead. Because doubt is always an, a, 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 a sign that there, is, there are questions that are unanswered. Hmm. How can that be? Can God exist? Well, how about evolution? How about, you know, the fact that we don't see any spirits around? And so, well, you know, can we believe this story that they've come from from 2,000 years ago to now? It's old. Maybe the people in those days were primitive people and they did not have the technology. Those questions are reasonable to us. Mm. Okay. Here's, here's a text. Uh, 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 before we, we take a quick break, like, here's a text that I want to read to you in Act of the Apostles. Act chapter 1. To see how Jesus dealt with doubt. Yeah, intellectual doubt. Okay, so uh, uh, Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself up to this man and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Yeah. That's how you deal with doubt. Mm. Face it, look at the evidence, to see whether your doubt is justified. Yeah. And if that's the first step you take, you check, what am I doubting? And then you find out, okay, I'm doubting this. Why am I doubting it? Oh, my doubt is intellectual. I just got questions. Seek answers to your questions. And our God, the biblical faith, is an evidence-based faith. Yes. It's not a blind faith. Mm. It's not a faith like just, just shut your eyes and just hope. To God that is no, it is a evidence-based faith. So that's the first way to deal with your intellectual doubt. Fantastic. Well, it's an exciting subject, and we'll uh, continue on after we've listened to this song.
Back through the years I go wandering once again Back to the seasons of my youth I recall a box of rags that someone gave us And how my mama put the rags to use There were rags of many colors Every piece was small And I didn't have a coat And it was way down the fall Mama sold the rags together Sewing every piece with love She made my coat of many colors That I was so proud of As she sold, she told a story From the Bible she had read About a coat of many colors Joseph wore and then she said Perhaps this coat will bring you Goodwill and happiness And I just couldn't wait to wear it And Mama blessed it with the kids My coat of many colors That my mama made for me Made only from rags But I wore it so proudly Although we had no money I was rich as I could be Holes in both my shoes And my coat of many colors I hurried off to school Just to find the others laughing And making fun of me And my coat of many colors My mama made for me And oh, I couldn't understand it For I felt I was rich And I told them Mama sold in every stitch And I told him all the story Mama told me while she sold And how my coat of many colors Was worth more than all their clothes But they didn't understand it And I tried to make them see That one is only poor Only if they choose to be I know we had no So Samuel, our, our exciting topic, topic today is on doubt and you've looked at intellectual doubt and emotional doubt. Yes. So let's look at the emotional doubts because yep. you look at the intellectual one. Thomas had an intellectual doubt. Yes. The doubt that uh, John the Baptist had was an emotional one. Okay. Okay. John the Baptist had an emotional doubt. Emotional doubts come about when you, you know the truth and you have some expectations. Then something painful, unexpected happened. Now your hopes are a little bit dashed and you start to doubt. Okay. The problem of evil, for example, is a Big, big, big source of doubt, especially in the West. Whenever I meet somebody who doesn't believe in God, when you dig at the bottom of it, very often there is, why is bad things happening? Why didn't God intervene when I was going through this hard time? If he was there, why didn't he save my uncle, my auntie, my nana? Or why are all those poor Africans dying over there? If God was good, why is there so much sickness? Yeah. Why is there terrible things happening? And it could be personal too. Why, when I've been praying for healing, have I not been healed? I haven't Other sinned. people have been healed. I've yes. not been healed. What's yes. going on? Yes. Yeah. So, sometimes, and, and emotional uh, problem of uh, doubt, doubt caused by emotional uh, sort of causes are very, very, very difficult to surmount. Mm. Very, very difficult. And to lay out the case, John the Baptist had heard the revelation, okay, personally. Yeah. He told us. Yeah. He'd seen, he'd heard the story of his own birth from mm. his parents. So, and he'd met the man. He'd met Jesus. And he'd heard the news of everything that Jesus was doing all about. Then it happened that he was arrested. Mm. He was arrested because he had given a point of view 
when Herod was taking the a woman that was a wife of his brother. And so Herod had gotten into a situation where, you know, there was something morally not okay. And John, being a prophet and being a prominent person, had made his point of view clear and known. Mm. And this woman had really hated John. She wanted Herod. She had really, really hated John. So, and now that John had issues with Herod, Herod had arrested John and had stuck him in jail. Mm. And the way actually John dies is that this woman's daughter danced and did a spectacle in front of Herod, and Herod went, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. So, uh, mom, I, if, if my memory is correct, yeah, you know, yeah. advise her to ask for the head of John. Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's how John dies. Yeah. So think about it. John had known all this, but his, his expectation was this is the Messiah. Mm. The Lamb of God was the Messiah. So the Messiah, messianically, uh, understanding of, of, of Messiah in, in Jewish culture would be he comes, he overcomes their enemies, terrifies them, and rescue the captives. So John is this great prophet of Israel. Mm. Now he's in Jerusalem. Well, he's the Messiah. He ought to do something about this. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, man. Is it you? Are you going to do something about it? Or should I be sitting here expecting that there's some other Messiah would come after you? Because you, you seem to be not be doing the thing that I expect the Messiah would do. Yeah. I'm personally in trouble here. Yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. Mm. So, it's interesting that Jesus' answer to the problem of an emotional doubt was to still present evidence to John. Mm. This is what's happening. Because think about it. Let's say somebody says, well, if God was so good, why did I suffer? What more can be said about that to say, okay, well, he's good, and here is the evidence he exists, his evidence is good, and here's the evidence why sometimes he lets us go through certain things. Mm. And then all things work together for the good of those who love God. So even the emotional doubt, it's the answer to it is the presentation of the evidence. So Jesus went, Okay, I understand his question, but go tell him the blind see, the lame walk, the good news is preached to the poor. Mm. Happy the man who doesn't stumble because I'm doing something that they didn't expect. Or happy somebody who doesn't stumble because somehow their hopes have been dashed. They expected of me mm. to do certain things. Like we sit here, we're impatient. I want God to come here at this time. In this manner, in this way, in the way I want, and he doesn't show up, and my hopes are dashed. And he said the same thing to Thomas, didn't he? He, he said, but blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe. Yeah, now, in that particular text with Thomas, mm. he was saying to Thomas, not everybody will have, I won't show up to everybody so they could touch me. Yeah, exactly. That one's the apostolic people. testimony should be enough. Mm. Unless you have reason to doubt or to say these people are lying, why would you doubt them, mm. right? So he said to John, happy the people who will just, for whom the apostolic testimony will be enough. Think about it. Thomas knew those apostles personally. Mm. He doubted their testimony. Mm. We don't know those apostles personally. And yet we believe their apostolic testimony because we reasonably look at them and go, what reason is there for these people to lie? They lost everything. Lost their livelihood, lost their life. Got some got beheaded, crucified. The, de- the um, people lie for for some purpose, some reason. Again, if it's today, money, sex, or power. Yeah, they never, they got none of that. No. So in a way, Thomas doubt. While it was inter- Jesus was gracious to give him the evidence. Jesus went, but people who will receive your testimony, Thomas. He went all the way to India mm. to preach there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, when he went there, Jesus wasn't appearing to everybody he talked to. Yep. He expected people will believe him because he was telling the truth. And he had a great testimony to, to, <laughs> to talk about as well, didn't he? So, response to emotional doubt is evidence. evidence. This is why, uh, you know, I'm going to say this, you know, the, the rise of emotional Christianity uh, is done a lot of damage to the I just know I just just believe, just believe just feel Jesus in your heart mm. just feel him how he loves you you it's now I'm not saying this is bad of course we feel Jesus 
Of course, it touches us. Of course, it gives us peace. We know that. But people but rely on that a little bit too. And if too much. They'll, they'll come to church and if it didn't work, if they didn't feel the tingly yeah. on, on the day, they go, oh, well, you know, God didn't turn up. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> they say that. That's well, what they do when they're basing their faith on their emotions. There's one preacher uh, who, uh, you know, it's Kenneth Copeland. I, I'm happy to quote him. Um, <laughs> who used to say, people go to church and say, I didn't feel God. Um, you know, I didn't feel the presence. I didn't feel God. He's like, how do you like if every time you were in the presence of somebody, they wanted to feel you? Right? <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah. You know, they, oh, I don't feel you. I mean, you don't feel me. I'm here. The thing is, you've got to go with his word when he says two or three are gathered in my mm. name. I will be. Whether you feel or don't feel, his word is what matters. Yes. Yeah. Right. So in that sense, so the rise of overly emotional Christianity, oh, how do you feel about that? How, how do you feel, Jesus? Do you feel the Holy Ghost? Well, yeah, it's okay. When I know someone, when I know them, I feel them. But sometimes they say, I know my wife. You know, I feel her. We have great moments. But there are times when, you know, I feel her distant, even if she was there in front of me. She feels distant. She feels um, distant even though I was there presently. Yeah. It doesn't lead her to doubt that I'm not there. Mm. We can work to resolve the feeling of distance we feel between each other. Yeah. So if when we feel God is distant, we pursue him, we seek him. Yeah. So in that sense, the rise of emotional Christianity became anti-evidence. I've just read the text in Acts. He, he gave them convincing proofs. Yes. So Jesus gave convincing proof. And, and when you read the end of John, John uh, you know, writes um, some, something quite I- interesting. Uh, so if you go to John chapter 21, John is giving his testimony. He says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them. We know that his testimony is true. Just did many other things. If everything was written, uh, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room to, that these things would be contained, uh, to, to be contained in them. There's one particular, uh, I think it's in chapter 20, the end of chapter 20, where, uh, you know, John says that but these things were written so that you may believe. believe. Yeah. So, just did, did all sorts of other many things, uh, but these ones were written so that you may come to believe. Mm. Is chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his book, but these are written, these evidence are mm. written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. By believing, you will have everlasting life. Yeah. So if you notice there, so emotional doubt and, um, and intellectual doubt. Mm. Now there's moral doubt. Okay. The moral doubt is quite an interesting one. The moral doubt is the hardest for people to admit. Um, is when somebody doubts something because they have other moral incentives that are in contradiction to that which they believe. Because if they believed in it, it will constrain their moral pursuit. So they'd rather doubt. It's more willful. They'd rather not even, and that's going to lead us into what I call Unbelief. We'll look at that in a moment. So, moral doubt is, well, I want to do certain kind of things. And if I believed in what Jesus did and said, and that he was there, his instruction will constrain my pursuit of pleasure. Yeah. And everything is that I want to get morally, mm. that I know he would say I shouldn't be pursuing. Mm. Therefore, la, 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 la. Yeah. I am not listening to this. I'm doubting that this is true. But they actually, at the bottom of it, is because... I don't want my moral life to be disturbed. Yeah. All right? Yes. And that's going to be a segue into what I call unbelief. We'll talk about it. All right. It is a great topic. Um, and thank you for uh, opening it up for us, Samuel. So we'll come back after we've uh, heard this great piece of music. I've got sunshine on a cloudy day When it's cold outside I've got the month of May Well I guess you'd say 
So we're back, 105.1 Life FM. We're talking with Samuel Chisichetti and we've been uh, discussing the topic of doubt. You've covered uh, intellectual doubt, emotional doubt. You touched on moral doubt and you're going to segue into unbelief. Yes. So we're excited (laughs) to get to the finish. That's great. You see, when somebody doubts and they've worked out what am I doubting and why am I doubting, Mm. and then they start to look at the evidence. Just go look at the evidence. If you are a Christian, you're in the church right now, or you're, many parents get shocked. You know, I've, I've, I've had a lot of parents who call me and they go, well, this just came left of field. You know, you know the child uh, was a Christian, grew up in a Christian home, went to church. Everything was good. They became a teenager. And then one day they just turn around and says, oh, I don't believe this anymore. Mm. Yep. They're like, what? No, nah, nah, I don't believe this anymore. And more, very often when they go to uni, 70% to 75% of kids that have been raised in Christian homes, when they go to uni, their faith is absolutely diluted and gone. Mm. Some for intellectual reason, some for emotional reason, and some for moral reasons. There's all sorts of fun that happen at uni with friends and stuff like that. Things that mom and dad used to say, never, never do, don't do that. Oh, go have a bit of drink and have fun with boy, the boys and the girls. And so uh, that becomes sometimes a source of doubt. But if you could, once somebody starts to say to me, well, I don't believe in this anymore. My question is, what is this that you don't believe in anymore? Right, yes. In other words, what do you mean by that? Yeah. What do you mean by I don't believe in this so two questions. I don't believe. What do you mean believe? And this that you don't believe is exactly what? So say, I don't believe in God anymore. Okay, what do you mean by God? Well, what do you mean by believe? Mm. And generally, because we have had this problem of people framing their faith as a psychological state. No, faith is not a psychological state. Okay, yeah. The biblical faith is comes from the verb uh, the word pistis, the Greek word pistis, and the verb is pistio. It's just flat out trust, yes. confidence. Mm. Confidence is actually a composite word from Latin, con, with, fide, faith. Confidence means faith. I have confidence that if I sit on this chair, it will hold my weight. This is not a psychological state. It's a matter of evidence and proof. I can check. Mm. I have confidence that if somebody said to me, I'm showing up, we're going to have dinner, uh, that they're going to show up. I trust the bank to keep my money and give me a card that if I go to the ATM, I I don't just simply shut my eyes and somehow have the psychological state of belief. It's only when it comes to faith in God and religious matters that then people wonder. And and unfortunately, the Christian believers and the Christian church have done that disservice to the definition of faith. Yeah, My faith is evidential. I believe in God because I have enough evidence that God does exist. Mm. I believe in Jesus and in his resurrection because of the overwhelming amount, or, you know, overwhelming, uh, you know, size of the evidence. <laughs> yeah. 
So, unbelief is when we, or the person who is unbelief, weak unbelief, is when the person has started to doubt, but they are no longer willing to look at the evidence in case the evidence contradicted their doubt. Yeah, exactly. They're scared. Yeah. All right? They want to hold the doubt they have for some benefit. Some re- That's why often it's a moral reason. Mm. Often it's a moral reason. Often. Okay? It's a moral reason. That starts to cause unbelief. And so they are... I, I, I see people go, well, look, I don't believe in God. I'm like, okay, well, have you ever reviewed the evidence for this of God? Well, no. Okay. Do you want me to do some review of the evidence? No. Mm. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So... You don't believe God exists. You have not looked at the evidence. And you don't want anybody to show you the evidence. Mm. Well, then your unbelief is baseless. Yeah. I'd rather have doubt that I've reviewed the evidence. The evidence wasn't convincing enough. And, or I can say, okay, well, I've seen that. No, no, no. They, I've got extra questions here that haven't been answered. But somebody who says, well, do you want to look at it? No. There is, I've got all sorts of people that, that inspire me. There is a Frank Turek. He runs Cross-Examined. Uh, .org is uh, an apologetic site. And Frank always says whenever he, you know, he's, he goes to universities and colleges, in America they call it college, and here yep. it's universities. Yep. So he goes to universities and, and he engages the students and most of the atheists that he, he come across said, okay, well, if I could show you convincingly that Christianity was true, would you become a Christian? No. Ah. So you were not pursuing the truth here. Mm. Because if you said to me, if I could show you that Christianity wasn't true, would you stop being a Christian? Yeah. If you could show me that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I quit this thing. Apostle Paul actually, he, yeah. he advises us to quit. Yeah. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are the most to be pitied. Yes. See, I'm, I'm easy. Yeah. My faith is not this sort of, you know, belief in something that can't be proven and that I'm just emotionally attached to. No. Mm. So people with weak unbelief, they have a doubt. They haven't reviewed the evidence. And if you said to them, do you want to see the evidence? They go, no, I don't want to. Why? Because they have something else they want to pursue. If I look at the evidence, it was true. Now I have to rectify. I have to change certain things within my... And many people reject Christ for those reasons, for more mm. reasons. Yeah. So that's weak unbelief. Yeah. It's the unbelief that is baseless. You've got doubt. It must be justified. If you no longer want to, to justify your doubt, then you've fallen into unbelief. Mm. So your doubt is baseless. I, I want to sort of encourage you. If you're a Christian, you stand to have doubt. If, if around you, you've attempted to seek to resolve your doubt and people can't do that, just seek, continue to search. Mm. Or give, give us a call at a reasonable Christianity. We're happy to. Yeah, exactly. You give, give a call to 105.1 and drop your questions. We will look at them one at a time. Mm. We mm. don't mind. Yeah. But don't hold on to this doubt that you don't want to question. I always say, it's not enough to doubt. You've got to doubt your doubt too. Mm. How about you doubt your doubt as well? Yeah. And so in that sense, don't fall into weak unbelief. Now, apart from weak unbelief, there is what we call strong unbelief. Mm. Now, strong unbelief is even more dangerous. Strong unbelief is when the person knows the truth. They knows they know exactly that the doubt they're presenting is unwarranted. It's unjustified because they know the truth. But they have a strong reason to reject God. To reject to believe. Right? Because they just don't want him. I heard the story of Stalin, Stalin when Stalin was on his deathbed. Before he died... You know, he was asked the question, what did he think of God? He shook his fist one last time. He was absolutely angry at this God that didn't exist. <laughs> oh, he doesn't exist. You shook your fist at him, right? Mm. So I'll show you a biblical example of strong unbelief. Jesus shows up and he does the miracles and he does all these things that he does. And the Pharisees go toe-to-toe with him mm. all the time. Yeah. They question his authority. They question by, by whose authority is doing this, and so on and so forth. Now, among them, among those people, especially the Jewish council on Sanhedrin, they knew that he was from God. Mm. How do I know that? There are two, especially. There's Nicodemus, went to see him in the night, yeah. and he told him 
We know that you come from God. He said we. Who's we? Yeah. No one can do the things that you do unless they come from God. Yeah. We know you're from God. Nicodemus admits, admits he's part of the Jewish council. He didn't ever have a conversation with any of his. So he used to go see Jesus in the, in the, in the, in the dark. Mm. Didn't want to risk his position on the Jewish council. He'd be kicked out. So he goes and sees Jesus in the, in the, in the night. In the night, yeah. And the second one is Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus says he won, uh, the, 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 the apostles tell us he was one of the, those you know, knightly disciples. Mm. Joseph was a man of huge influence in the Jewish council, in the Sanhedrin. He's a guy who asked Pilate, yeah. give me the body, I want to bury it. Yes. And Pilate's like, sure. Well, you were just a regular bloke around the corner. You're not going to ask him, no, Pilate. Right. He wouldn't have got it. Yeah. He was extremely powerful. Yeah. So these people knew who Jesus was. And most of their encounter, he used what I call apologetics. He used question asking to corner them. I, I, like, I like to do that. I love question asking. <laughs> so they come and showed up and Jesus asked them a question. They were saying, by whose authority are you doing this? Jesus like, okay, by whose authority is John doing what he's doing? Yes. And so they, <laughs> knowing the answer, they said, if we say John is not doing this by the authority of God, we will be stoned by the people because everybody knows John comes from God. Yep. John's dad was the high priest. Yeah, that's right. At the time when John was conceived. Yeah. He, he couldn't speak for nine months. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows the story. So John came from God. Everybody knew. If we tell him that, then he's going to ask us. If we tell him John comes from God, he's going to say, but why don't you believe in me since John testified about me? Yes. So they know the answer. Yeah. John is from God. They know. If they said he wasn't, they'd be crucified. But if they told him the truth, he would challenge them. So what, what, what did they do? They turn around and they said to him, we don't know. Yes. Did they? Mm. See, you know the truth, but you don't want to believe. That is strong unbelief. unbelief. Mm. Wow, what a great subject! <laughs> and truly, if you're um, if you've got questions, please uh, send them through the website at a reasonable Christianity, or um, have a, a, a flick it across to uh, on a text message to one hundred five point one Life FM, yes. and uh, and we will put them on the list because there's a bit of a list, isn't there? Yes. Thank you so much, Samuel, again, for your time today and for uh, opening up the uh, question of doubt. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program again this week. It's been awesome, man. This is, 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 that's just one last sentence. Yeah. Please do yourself a favor. If you have doubt, justify them. Don't let them turn into unbelief. Amen.